If you're new with us, my name is Nate, and I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Road. And uh, there, there's a lot of things to know about me, and you guys might know some things about me at this point, or maybe you're new and you, you don't know anything about me, but something you might not know about me is that I once fought a giant. Pretty impressive. Now, my giant happened to be about nine years old and about five feet tall, um, and it was a kid who was a couple years older than I was, and what happened was we were hanging out on the playground one day, and uh, this kid who was a little bit older than us got into a fight with my cousin. And I'm like, okay, I didn't choose this fight. This fight chose me. This is how heroes are made. I'm going to step in, save the day, be a hero. So I decided to jump in and break up the fight because I was going to fight this guy who was, how dare he fight my cousin, right? And little did my opponent know that I had been watching the Karate Kid movies. We didn't even own a car at the time, but even I learned how to wax on, wax off, and I was practicing that stuff, and I was just ready to go. Let's get this done with. I'm going to take care of this bully that's beaten up on my cousin. So I show up, and we're, you know, about to get into a fight, and, you know, boys will be boys, and this is Africa also, which a lot of things happen there, and there's no rules there. So we're getting ready to get into this fight, and uh, I ended up pulling this move right here. You guys know what I'm talking about? The rest is a little bit fuzzy in my mind, but when I came back to this kid was on top of me. That seemed like a giant, and I was laying under him, crying, and somebody had to come and pull him off of me, and really embarrassing story. That's the giant I fought, but today we're going to be talking about a real giant. We're going to be looking at David and Goliath, so if you have your Bibles with me, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 17. That's where we're going to be at today, and there's a lot of verses to cover. There's 58 verses in this chapter. I'm going to do my best to get through it pretty rapidly, and this is a story that most likely you are familiar with, that you've heard the term Goliath used to describe objects or people that are massive, and you've maybe heard this story used before as a great leadership lesson for why when everybody saw, you know, uh, obstacles and they saw a giant and David saw opportunity and that's the kind of leader you need to be, or maybe you've heard it used for a bully uh, who was bullying somebody and the, the, the guy who's getting bullied just being told, hey, you just need to stand up to him. Like David stood up to his bully, you know, you need to be a stand up to him, be like David. Or maybe it is in a business context that you have that big competitor that is just a lot bigger than you are and you're in competition with and you say, we are going to be like David and we're going to take down this Goliath or different contexts that you've maybe heard that in. Maybe it's that in sports. You've heard a, maybe a coach in a locker room at halftime and you are down against a team that's better than you saying, hey, we're just going to go out there, you know, battle David and Goliath. David got it done and we can get it done too. Hoorah, let's go, let's win. And all those things are great examples of how maybe people have interpreted this text. But I just want to maybe today challenge us to look at this text that we know so often and so well through some fresh eyes this morning. And I've titled this message, Sticks and Stones Can Break a Giant's Frontal Bone because it rhymes. So we're going to be talking about that, looking at the story today through fresh eyes, and maybe instead of focusing so much on all the ways that it makes us the hero of the story and puts us at the center of the story, we're going to be looking at it as an example and a call for you and I to have bold faith in an amazing God. Because see, there's one hero in the story, and it's God. It's not you or me, as much as we love to read ourselves into the story, and by the way, we're always the underdog that beats the bigger guy, but really the story is about God and the amazing God that he is 
and the love that he has for you and I. And that's what we're going to be doing today. So will you pray with me right now and just ask God to speak to us? Father, we just come to this table right now to sit down, to commune with you, to speak with you. Father, we pray that you'd open up our hearts to hear from you. I pray that you just allow me to step out of the way today. Would you speak so clearly a fresh word that we all desperately need to hear today? I know each and every person, I don't know where they're at listening to this right now, but I know you know exactly where they are and you want to meet them right where they are this morning. So would you use this to, to challenge us and to grow us? We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So last week we started a series on the life of David. It's going to be a six-week series. Pastor Josh taught an incredible message about David's anointing and God, how God picked him from the pasture and used the pasture in his life to form him and to set, it up, set him up for everything that he was going to do in his life. And I have to say, me and my wife got home last week and we just were talking about how incredible that message was. Wasn't that such a powerful message from Pastor Josh? Can we just thank him right now for being a leader who hears from God and who speaks out of a place of conviction? It was such a great message. And today we get to talk about David and Goliath. And, you know, I've come to find that the English language is a funny language. Like if you really think about it, there's certain words in there, like the word rhythm, the word yacht, that just are spelled really weird, and you're like, why is it pronounced that way? But one simple word that I found as well is kind of a weird one is the word two. Like T-O is two, T-O-O is two, T-W-O is two, and shouldn't that be pronounced two? Anybody else with me on that? It's kind of a weird word, right? Here's what I'm inviting you guys to do this morning. A familiar word that you've probably seen a million times before that you just don't even think about it. You just pronounce it. You just read it. The story that we're looking at this morning is a really familiar one to you. So you're going to find yourself tempted to read into the text what is there and to jump to conclusions and applications. And I'm asking you to maybe pause long enough to look at the story this morning to allow God to maybe speak something fresh and new to you this morning. So can we do that together? First Samuel 17 and there's, there's two sides when we jump into the story. There's Israel, and then there's the, the other nations or their enemies, the Philistines, which are their biggest enemy during this time. And what we know about Israel is that they were the people that God called Abraham, made a promise to him that he was going to give him a, a nation, would come from him. Many nations, in fact, would come from him. He would give him this promised land that he had for him as well. And out of that grew the nation of Israel. And throughout their entire existence... They keep fighting with these enemies that are getting in the way of what God is trying to do. Sometimes they are the enemy that's getting in the way of what God's trying to do. And here we see them fighting against the Philistines, their major enemy during this time. And verse 3, it says, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side. Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. And between them was a valley. So this is the scene of the fight that we jump into today. And what would happen is that a giant by the name of Goliath would come out. And he would challenge them to send one champion or one man from their camp to come in to fight against him. And look at how it describes Goliath here. It says, his name was Goliath of Gath, and his height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders and the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the, his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And he had a shield-bearer that went before him. And he shouted, why have you come to fight against us? Am I not a Philistine? And how dare you, servants of Saul, come to fight against us? Choose a man from amongst yourself. Let him come down 
and fight me. And if he's able to fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And he says, I defy the ranks of Israel to this day. And it says, when Saul, who's the king during this time, heard this, that him and all the men that were there are terrified. See, we're introduced to this champion by the name of Goliath, who if you read in the original text, which is uh, our original Hebrew Bible is written in Hebrew or Aramaic during that time, the, the numbers six and four look pretty similar. So if you go by the four reading, then that would put him at six foot nine. If you go by the six reading, then that would put him at nine foot six. And this guy's armor weighs 125 pounds is what he's covered in. And on top of that, he has a spear that it tells us the tip of it alone weighed 50 pounds. I don't know about you, but have you tried, you know, lifting 15 pounds lately at the gym? That's how heavy the tip of his spear alone is. So he was a terrifying sight to see. I don't know if his armor and everything was even practical. It was just designed to instill fear and terror into their enemies. And that's what's happening here. That's Saul, the king, everybody who's there, they hear this guy come out and it says that for 40 days, morning and evening, morning and evening, he's coming out, shouting these insults, defying them to come. Anybody who dare come fight me. And they are all just terrified and they are running away and hiding during this moment. What he's calling them to do here is something that um, back in that day was called representative warfare, where one person would fight as a nation. Whoever the champion was would come and fight, and if they lost, then their nation became slaved or servants to the other nation that won. So that's what he's challenging them to do. So you've got two champions as well that we're looking at, and uh, the word champion here in the original language means the man in between. That's the definition of it. The man in between who would fight on behalf of their nation. That's what a champion is. That's where we get that term for uh, today. And so Goliath is their champion. And I'm just thinking, why don't we go back to that form of fighting now? You guys ever thought about that? How easy all these wars that we've been involved in would be if we just had one person go fight on our behalf? And I would want to definitely be a part of Team USA, let me tell you. Because if we were to send somebody, I don't know who you would send, but I would send Chuck Norris. Look at that guy right there. I mean, who's going who, who's gonna to come against him? He's, he's not going to lose. He's going to win every single time. And I just think maybe we should go back to that form of fighting. But it's interesting here that you have Goliath coming out, challenging them to send out a champion for the two champions to fight together. And look at now the second champion that we read about in the story. This is where David comes into the story. We're introduced to him in verse 12. And it says that his father's name was Jesse, and he was the youngest of eight sons. What David was doing was he was home tending to his father's sheep because he wasn't old enough to be in the army. So his three oldest brothers are fighting in this war. Well, there's not much fighting happening. They're just standing there for 40 days. But anyways, they're on the front lines fighting and David is running back and forth, tending the sheep, bringing some snacks to his older brothers, bringing news of the war to his dad, tending more sheep, doing the same thing back and forth. And his dad sends him to go out to the battle and he draws near and now listens to what is happening. But it's so, it's so important here. I just have to say, as we're looking at these two champions, that in this text, the author who wrote this spends so much time describing in detail who Goliath is, setting up his height, the weight of his armor, how terrifying he looks. And then to David, he's just kind of like, yeah, he was a shepherd boy, just running errands, bringing some snacks to his older brothers. And I just find it funny because when I, when I played sports uh, back in high school, 
the school I played for in Illinois, what we would do for home games is we would first introduce the opposing team that was visiting us to play in our gym. And it would be like just the most underwhelming thing you can think of. Yeah, we got John. He's this height. He plays this position. Here's Tim. Here's Brad. Here's Sean, whatever it is. But when it got to our team, oh man, the lights would go off. There'd be smoke. There'd be a spotlight on our bench pump up music. We had like the Bulls, you know, introduction music going on in there. The place would go nuts and then they'd introduce you. You'd run and you have your handshake and you're just like jacked up, like ready to go. But the author is doing the opposite over here. He's actually setting up, Saul, uh, setting up Goliath in great detail and describing it. And then David, who's like on the home team, just gets this like, yeah, he's a shepherd boy. And I, I think it's very intentional because there's a huge contrast between these two warriors because as we talked about last week, that appearances and what we see isn't always the way that reality actually is. That man looks at the appearances, but God looks at the heart. So there's something really powerful going on here. When we look at what is happening with David and David, where everybody had responded with fear, leans in and he starts asking, well, what's going on over here? And he hears the same insult coming from Goliath. But look at his response. He says, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, uncircumcised Philistine isn't like some clever insult that a teenage boy came up with right in the text. He wasn't like, well, well, you're uncircumcised. Well, well, you got a big head. Well, you're ugly. No, 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 no. What David is doing here in the moment is he is responding in righteous indignation. Because he's recognizing that the person that Goliath is defying and challenging isn't just his army. He is, in fact, defying and insulting the living God. And that's why he responds. And he says, by the way, this guy is uncircumcised. Circumcision, if you read Genesis 17, was the covenant sign that God gave to Abraham when he promised to make a great nation out of him and to give him the very land that Goliath was standing on and was insulting God. So he's saying... Who's this guy who's standing on this land that God swore to our people and who's insulting the living God? He's driven by this righteous indignation because God's holiness is the zeal that he is driving him in this moment. And he says, I'm just not going to put up with that. And David was able to see something in the moment that others didn't see. But the whole reason why he's able to see what's really at stake here, that Goliath is standing on land that is not his, that has been promised to us by God himself, and recognize what was going on was because I believe that, God had, that David had a knowledge of God's word. That he was able to look back to his people's history and say, no, this land of Canaan, this is our land that this giant is standing on. We're just not going to put up with some uncircumcised Philistine coming and challenging the living God. And I just wonder for us how many times in our lives we fail to recognize things for what they actually are because of our lack of knowledge of God's word. That more than ever before, we have access to God's word and to the Bible more than any other generation before us. In your pocket right now, in your smartphone, you can pull up God's word, look at every translation, pull up commentaries. Read Bible studies on there, devotionals on there. But you know what also the numbers are showing is that biblical literacy in the church is just doing this right now, declining rapidly. That with as much resources that we have around us, how much Bible we have access to, 
we are now reading the Bible less and less and less as a people, as a church, which means that we are not being formed by the Bible, that our worldview is not a biblical one, and it means that there's so many situations in our lives that we are facing that we don't recognize for what they are because of our lack of knowledge of God's word. So can I maybe challenge you that knowing God's word is so important and that's why we talk about you need to get into a huddle. You need to do rooted. You need to join an outpost to get to study God's word so that you would be shaped by God's word so that you can actually live out his will for your life. That in some of the challenges we're facing today and all the different lies that culture is sending our way, we don't respond by just saying, well, I feel this way about it. Therefore, how I feel is right. We respond by saying, what does God's word have to say about it? And God's word becomes the authority that we live under. And God's word becomes the foundation that we stand upon, that we build our lives on. David was able to recognize this situation for what it was, where everybody else was responding in fear. David is willing to be bold and to lean in because he had a knowledge of God's word that was buried in his heart. So are you getting into God's word? You have access to it. It's not a lack of access. I mean, you have smartphones, you've got the internet, so many different ways that you can get into God's word, but are we reading God's word and making it the priority in our lives that we might live how he wants for us to live? Maybe for some of you, today's the day that you choose to leave this room or online, sign up to be a part of an outpost where you can get into God's word more to live, live out the life that he has for you. Let's go on in the story. So David is causing commotion now when news gets back to the king, Saul, and he, he calls for David. And David comes forward, and they have a conversation. And David tells him, hey, don't, don't, don't be afraid, king. I have fought lions and bears. And as a shepherd, when they came and took one of my sheep away, I went after them and struck them down and killed them. And David says these powerful words that the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine which is just so powerful to see that Saul, who was supposed to be their leader, they had a giant as well in Israel. It was Saul. It says that he stood a foot above every man in Israel. But in the moment when it came down to it, to stand up and to be bold in what God was doing in that moment, Saul chooses to run away in fear like everybody else. And a shepherd boy by the name of David is who steps up and he says, I know God to be faithful in my life, that he delivered me from a lion, from a bear, and this Philistine messed with the wrong nation today because we have a living God who fights for us. And so Saul then tells him to go and the Lord be with you. And it's easy to miss that there's really two battles going on in this story here that we oftentimes read about it. And it's like, well, Israel, why, why are they fighting all these other nations? And the whole Old Testament is just full of wars between Israel and another nation. And you don't realize that what's really going on is there's a lot more at stake here that Israel was God's people that was called by the promise made to Abraham to become a great nation that he would carry out his work through, that the Messiah Jesus would come through, that you and I would get to be a part of God's family through. And so there's a lot more going on here. And the battle is between their two gods, Yahweh, the living God and the God of the Philistines. And whoever lost would become a servant of the other one and have to serve their God as well. And so there is a lot at stake going on here. And David comes in and he recognizes what is going on, that this is really more a battle about which God are we going to serve? And how can we serve the living God if we're serving the Philistines God? So he chooses to respond and look at the outcome of the battle. Verse 41, they draw near one another. And verse 43, Goliath looks at David and it's just such a ridiculous sight that here he is with his armor bearer and 
shield and all those things. And David walks in and he's just a shepherd boy carrying his staff and just the five smooth stones that he picked up from the dried brook and in his little bag. And he shows up and here's this nine foot six guy that is ready to fight against him. So Goliath says this to him, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And Goliath cursed David by his gods and said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the fields. And David responds and says to him, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut your head off. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines today, this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this, assemble, uh, this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand today. Did you catch what he just said? I'm going to win this fight that I'm in right now, not just so that my name would be great, but so that all the earth would know that there's a God in Israel who fights for his people. And I just wonder sometimes if in some of the battles that you and I might face in our lives, where we live in a culture that is so hostile to God and it's just so hard living out your faith anymore in the world that we live in and it's so hard just being faithful even in your own life. That maybe you're a parent and for you, your fight today is just, man, I, I just want to raise kids that are in the church that will know, love, and serve Jesus. And it feels like it's so hard doing that, getting them to church, getting them involved in Bible studies or whatever it is. And we can sometimes just look at it and just say, well, maybe it's just, you know, busyness or tiredness or whatever it is. And really the battle that is going on in your life as a parent is a battle over your children's soul. Now, whether they will grow up to know Jesus and have a relationship with him or not, and the work that God is trying to do in their life, or maybe you're a worker and you're a place of work and you feel like, man, I just keep trying to do my best here to be faithful, and I just have this coworker, the supervisor that just seems to make me a target and is mistreating me or whatever it is, and you're just trying and you're just fighting so hard to be faithful and to not compromise when you're being tempted to in your place of work and the battle that you're facing there is just not a battle of whether you're going to compromise or not, but this is a much bigger battle that is going on. It's a battle that involves your witness and how God has placed you into that place of work as a missionary for him and what he wants to do in and through your life in that place and how the enemy would love nothing more than to cause you to compromise for everybody around you to look at you and say, oh, look at that person. They claim to be a Christian or whatever it is. And look at how they're a hypocrite over here. Or they're the ones that are dishonest or whatever it is. And when you remain faithful in the midst of that battle is the way that you continue to carry out the work that God has for you. There's a lot more going on in the battles that you and I are facing every single day around us. And this story is meant to point to a much bigger battle between God and between an enemy who is real who wants nothing more than to get in the way of the work that God is trying to do to redeem a multitude of people to himself. But David recognizes that. And with one simple stone that he puts in his sling, flings it, boom, breaks Goliath's frontal bone. He goes down. David runs over, grabs his sword, cuts his head off. How gruesome is that? And then takes Goliath's armor and then displays it in his tent as a trophy. I mean, how incredible is that? 
that this guy who the odds were stacked against is able to go and fight and defeat Goliath. And I think God used this battle to put his power on display for all to see. That all may know that there's a God in Israel. And we are still talking about that today because God put his power on display. And so what, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us today? This story that we've heard so many times, where do we go with it? What do we do with it? And two truths I want to share with you today as we wrap up our time. Number one is that we can have bold faith in an amazing God because God chooses the weak to demonstrate his power. God chooses the weak to demonstrate his power. And this whole battle that David is in, he says that, that the whole earth may know that the Lord delivered me out of the, the hands of the lion and the bear and that the whole earth may know that God is the one who won this battle that I'm in. And that's why he says this in Zechariah 4 verse 6, that not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You want to know how we win battles in our lives? By God's spirit. See, David isn't the hero in the story. God is the hero of the story. That what we sometimes forget about 1 Samuel 17 is that 1 Samuel 16 also happened. Where we see David anointed by the prophet Samuel. And it says that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. That's what made him able to stand up to Goliath. That's what made him able to walk into that battle. That's what gave him the clarity to see the battle for what it was. That's what allowed him to use a single rock, a single stone to take down a, a giant and to give victory to God's people. It wasn't because David had all this confidence in himself. Just go out there like I did, karate kid. You can do it. I'm going to go step up to a bully. You lose every single time. But when you trust in God's spirit working in and through you, who's called you, that same spirit that David had, he's given to you. And it says that it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now alive and at work in every single one of us. Believer in Jesus. Because God chooses the weak to demonstrate his power. And David is just an example to us. Not of how you can, you can be so confident and walk out there. Even how, when the odds are stacked against you, David is an example to us of what it looks like to have bold faith to actually take God at his word and to act in obedience and to move forward even when the fight seems impossible because you know that God has called you and empowered you to do that which he's called you to do. And Paul says it later. He says this for, in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If you feel unqualified, uneducated, unimpressive, weak on your own, unequipped, you have exactly everything that you need to be used by God in an amazing way if you will have bold faith in him. And I look at the scriptures, and the scriptures are full of people that were uneducated, unqualified, too young, and over and over again, God chooses the weak to use, to put his power on display so that no human being might take credit for God's work. And I think about my own life, and many of you know my story. I grew up with a dad overseas who's a president of a seminary, who has PhDs plus, who's written research, travels the world, and great scholar, knows the scriptures more than I could ever dream or hope to know. And 
Then I came to the States when I was 16 and taken into a family of another pastor as well, who's a senior pastor, great leader, great preacher, great pastor, like all of it. And so my whole life, I looked at these two men that are role models of mine, and I always just thought, I could never do what they do. I could never do that. And from a young age, I just wrestled with this call to ministry, and over and over again, I just said, nope, I'm not equipped enough. I don't know enough. I'm not old enough. I can't do that as well as they are doing that. And finally, all that wrestling came to a head when I was in college and really felt like God was calling me to step into ministry to trust him. And I said, okay, I'm going to switch my major, started working for a church that was in the area. And as I was working there uh, my sophomore year, the senior pastor has surgery on his knee and he can't preach. And the week is scheduled to come back. He has this infection thing that happens. So he calls me up like midweek, maybe on a Wednesday. And he says, hey, do you think you could preach this Sunday? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I've never done that before. He's like, well, okay, here's kind of what I'm thinking. Here's the series. And why don't you, why don't you work on something and you, you teach? Because I'm not going to be able to teach this Sunday. So I went back to my dorm room and worked on it and went and found a coffee shop and worked on it some more for the next few days. And as I'm preparing for this message, my first time ever preaching, I'm just so nervous. And I'm just like, God, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know if I have what it takes. And my prayer in that moment was, God, I read the scriptures and you chose to speak through a donkey one time. God, if you can speak through a donkey, you can speak through me, surely. I'm not kidding. That was literally my prayer. God, if you can speak through a donkey, you can speak through me. And Sunday rolls around and I'm still just praying the same prayer. God, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm willing to go out there. If I crash and burn, I'm going to crash and burn for you. And preached that message, my first message ever, and felt prompted in the moment to just offer an opportunity for people to respond. And I'm standing there and people start coming forward. People that are old enough to be my parents, grandparents, great-grandparents are coming forward. Some of them in tears and praying with one another. This amazing move of God happens. And I just remember standing there as a 19-year-old thinking, what the blank is going on? That was my first one. Wasn't very mature or spiritual, but what the blank is going on? And my second thought was, man, if this is what it looks like to surrender to God, I cannot wait to do this again. And guys, that has been my posture for the last 12 years of doing ministry. Has been, God, I don't feel qualified enough. I don't feel educated enough. I'm not old enough. I don't have what it takes. But God, if you've called me to step into this place to serve you in this way, God, if you can speak through a donkey, you can speak through me. Because you might not know this about me, but I get terrified and nervous every single time I'm up on this platform to preach. In fact, just this morning, my wife was texting me, hey, how are you doing? And I told her, man, I'm as nervous as can be. But you know what keeps me coming back over and over again on this platform? It's not because of some confidence I have in myself, but it's because of the bold faith I have in a God who can do amazing things, who will take unqualified people, uneducated people, unworthy people, and use them to put his power on display. So what is it in your life that maybe God is calling you to do that you might feel just unworthy, uneducated, unqualified to do? Can I just encourage and challenge you today to have bold faith in a God who chooses the weak to put his power on display so that all the earth may know that you and I serve an amazing God. And that's what he wants to do in your life. And number two, what does this mean for us? That we have a God who fights for us. We have a God who fights for us. See, the whole story with David is not meant to put you and I at the place where we're, we're the hero in the story. We're David. No. 
the whole story of David is meant to show us that on our own we can't. We're the army that's running away, that's hiding. And that's why David is meant to point us forward to our champion who is Jesus. The man that came who stood in between us and sin and death, our greatest enemy that we could face. And he lived a sinless life that we could never live on our own. He went to the cross and suffered a brutal death. He died, from the de he died and he rose from the dead. He did that which we could never do on our own because you and I, we need a champion and his name is Jesus. That's what the story is meant to point us forward to. So that we would continue to put our faith in him no matter what the, the fight is that we're going through today. So what is the fight maybe in your, in your life that you're going through right now? Is it just the fight to raise your family, to, to know and to love and to serve the Lord and it feels like you're running into all these obstacles? And is it the fight to just be faithful in this day and age that is so opposed to God? Is it a fight in your own life, maybe with your own flesh and sin in your life or addiction that you're battling? And over and over again, the scriptures remind us that we serve a God who fights for us. And because he fights for us, you and I can have bold faith. And one of the most powerful examples of this is from Joshua 5 in the Old Testament where God has called his people out of slavery and they're going to take possession of this promised land that he had for them. And they come up to Jericho, which is a major city that stands in the way of what they could uh, do to continue to advance his work. And they are just trying to figure out how do we go up against this much bigger opponent that we have. And it says that Joshua lifted up his eyes and he saw that there was a man standing in front of him on the battlefield with a sword in his hand. And this man was an angel of the Lord that Joshua goes up to and he says... Hey, who are you and are you on our side or are you against us? And this man answers and he says this, no, I am the commander of the army of the Lord and now I have come. And I just wonder for how many of us, maybe in the fight that you're in today, if you would just look up your eyes and see that the Lord has his angel encamped around you who is fighting for you and that nothing can come against the work that he's trying to do in your life because our God is a God who fights for us and that Jesus, when he went to the cross, when he rose from the dead, he conquered and defeated as our champion the greatest enemy that you and I could face, which was sin and death. And because he's done that, any other fight that you and I fight can face today, then nothing can stand against the power of our God. Do you believe that in the fight that you're going through today? Because we serve a God who fights for us. And he will fight in our place as our champion and he will empower you to do things that you never thought you could do on your own. So that over and over again, you would continue to have bold faith in an amazing God. So can I just invite you wherever you're at today to choose to have bold faith in him? What do I mean by that? How, how do you have bold faith in the midst of the fight? It means you do the next faithful thing that God is calling you to do. It's just that simple. What is the next faithful thing that God's calling you to do? Just do that thing that he's calling you to do right now in obedience and continue to see him come through for you. And number two, maybe some of you are in here and you might not realize that we serve a God who fights for us. That means that he's been pursuing you. He's been fighting for you. He's parted Red Seas. He's brought the plagues. All the things you read about in the Old Testament is over and over again examples of God fighting for us. And when all those things were not enough, God continued to fight for you, continued to pursue you by sending his own son to come into the world to lay down his life, to die a brutal death on a cross, all because we serve a God who's been fighting for you. And the Bible says that at one time we were all enemies of God, that we were the ones that were standing on the other side opposed to God. 
And Jesus, our champion, stood in between, but he didn't stand between you and I to bring condemnation and harm to us. He stood between us to take our hand and to take God's hand and to bring us back home into a relationship with him. That's the kind of champion that our Jesus is. And maybe you've been running away from God. You've been fighting him in your life as he's prompting you to call you home, to call you into something greater. You've been fighting him. And can I maybe encourage and challenge you today to surrender to him, that he loves you. He has an incredible journey that he wants to take you on, an incredible life that he wants to give you and offer you today. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes with me? The scriptures tell us that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, 8. And that God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son to come into this world, lay down his life for you, to rise from the dead. And when you believe in him, you shall not perish but have eternal life. And maybe today you want to choose to surrender your life to Jesus. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to do something really simple as an act of faith, as an act of surrender today. And that's just to simply raise your hand on the count of three. Just raise your hand. It's just that simple. So number one, God loves you. Number two, God fights for you. And three, he welcomes you home. Will you surrender to him today? Would you raise your hand if that's you in the room right now? Anybody in here? Yes, in the back. I see you. Anybody else in here? Yes, over here. I see you guys over here. Yes, anybody else? Yes, in the very far back. I see you guys as well. Anybody else? Yes, kids over here. I see you guys. Make sure you talk to your parents about that. Anybody else in here? Yes, to my left. I see you guys. Two hands over here. Yes, young man. I see you as well in the black hoodie. You can put your hand down. Anybody else in here? Yes, I see you over here, my man. You can put your hand down as well. Anybody else? Listen, if God is nudging you today, we oftentimes come up with excuses. Well, I'm just busy right now. Well, I just want to live my life. And then maybe when I get to it, then I'll choose to surrender to Jesus. And we're just not promised tomorrow, guys. So will you today choose to make that commitment? Would you surrender your life to Jesus today if that's you and God is speaking to you in this moment? Anybody else in here? Anybody online, if that's you, just drop a comment as well in the chat right now. Anybody else in here? If that's you, you can also just pray right now with me. If you raise the hand, pray something this simple. God, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for sending your son to a cross for me. Thank you for fighting for me, God, until you found me and you called me home to yourself. And Jesus, today I choose to surrender my life to you as my Savior and as my Lord. And Jesus, today I choose to surrender anything in my life that is not of you. Help me to live in obedience to your word, to your will for my life. Help me to live for you from this day forward. And let me pray over you right now as well. Father, you saw every single person that prayed the prayer right now, that surrendered their life to you. No matter where they're at, Father, I pray that right now they would feel your love, your presence in such a real way in their life. Would you make yourself real to them? Father, we want to pray over them as your word says that anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Would, you, would that just be true over them right now? Father, would you make them new? Would you help them to overcome any sin or anything in their life that the enemy might be throwing at them to keep them from living the life that you've called them to live in this moment? Would you help them to overcome that? God, would you pour out your spirit on them? Would you equip them to do the work that you've called them to do? Father, I know that some that might even raise their hand today, 
to surrender their lives to you might be sleeping giants that we've been praying for, that the church needs to bring the good news of the gospel forward, to do incredible things in our communities, to see you move in a powerful way. God, would you do that? Would you pour out your spirit right now, we pray. We just thank you so much for loving us, for calling us to be a part of your family. Thank you that you are a God who fights for us. And we pray all these things now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.